All right, welcome back to Marketing Cheat Codes. Hope everyone's doing fine out there in Aprimo land today. You've got Sam here, resident content marketing cowboy at Aprimo, along with our show host and CMO, Ed Brialt. Ed, who's in the Primo studio with us today? We're gonna get agile today, Sam. We have Andrea Fryrear. She's a longtime friend of Aprimo, and she's the CEO and co-founder of Agile Sherpas. And if you know, Agile Sherpas is a leading agile marketing training, consulting, and coaching organization. And she's really created and carved her own path in the field of agile and made a career out of transforming her marketing teams that she works with, putting them in shape, uh, turning them into proper agile organizations. Yeah, this is such a valuable peek into to agile. It demystifies it a bit, gives some great data points from the fifth state of agile report, which they produce uh, each year, as well as some, you know, valuable mantras from the Sherpas themselves. One in particular, and one, one that we are fond of over here at Primo is cycle time. Absolutely. Cycle time can be a superpower. In agile, it's also much more than speed and productivity. You need to go beyond some of these ceremonial aspects of agile and really hone in there to get to the pay dirt. For sure. I'm looking forward to hearing more from the Agile Crystal Ball, as she calls it. Uh, so let's get into it, Ed, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I'm the host of Marketing Cheat Codes, Ed Brielle, and CMO of Primo, and I'm super excited to have Andrea back on a show, not this podcast, but definitely a, um, a friend of uh, a Primo's uh, digital experiences and uh, really excited to have you on. Andrea, how are you? Well, I'm doing great. It's always good to chat with you. I'm looking forward to catching up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe our relationship goes back five or so years. I remember you were on, you were coming off stage, you were doing a book signing and um you were pioneering this concept of agile marketing and uh, sherpaing, I should say, because you're you, you, know, you started a company. Um, you're now CEO of Agile Sherpas. That's right. That's right. And yeah, and I I can see a lot of growth as well since if I go back, you know, f from that time to to now. How has the company been been moving? The company is doing really great. Um, yeah, I think when you and I met, it was kind of like me banging a drum in the wilderness, being like, Agile is cool. Everyone should do this. Yeah. Um, and now we have uh, 20 people, uh, 20 Sherpas that are are banging drums as well and, and helping clients. And it's really been an amazing five years. And um, yeah, the, uh, the uncertainty and volatility that we all face every day just makes Agile more and more relevant. So... I think uh, the next five years are are looking much the same. Bring it, yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree with that. Um, now, I'm I'm really excited because we're going to talk about some of uh, your research. Of course, you're on the. We'll be talking about the fifth state of agile, but is the sixth state of agile marketing coming out soon? Sixth is underway. We're collecting yeah. the data now, and it'll come out in March. So, awesome. really excited to see what happened last year, where the improvements, changes, you know, since we have done it for six years in a row, my favorite thing now is just to look at the longitudinal, you know, the changes over time, we've got 
multiple years of asking very similar, if not identical questions. And it's always fun to see what ships. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know there are definitely some, um, some acceleration points. And uh, we spoke when we saw each other recently at uh, uh, Content Marketing Institute, uh, their uh, Content Marketing World event. You mentioned um, folks um, were drug kicking and screaming into Agile, like your forced transformation, right? Not just your voluntary. And um, so, yeah, this has been a, a force for or a destination, I would say, in in times of needing change and a solution for many folks. And, um, you know, the the metrics that it can provide, the you know, in terms of efficiency and speed and cycle time. And I want to get into those, too. I, I love the science of uh, of speed, you know, um, having um, cycle time can, can be a superpower for organizations if, if they do it right. And Agile is the way. Um, so really excited to talk about that. Um, but yeah, let's um let's maybe start with some of your um your research uh, that we've got. Um, it looks like went through it and pulled. There was uh, I'll call it a a pillar or a key theme around agile alignment, and um, you you've seen not just like departmental or small teams adopting agile, but like a real values gained. I'll call it with an enterprise mindset of mm-hmm. of agile and going more going enterprise. Um, what did you see in the data? What are you seeing like with your clients now and sort of this idea of pockets moving into uh, full full enterprise, you know, cross, cross company? Yeah, that was a really interesting adjustment this year. Um, you know, people are really starting to see that, you know, one team's good, all the teams are better. You know, it, whenever you have a micro adoption or, you know, just a few people kind of testing and learning around agile ways of working, you get some benefits, you know, speed to market for the work that they're doing, right? But then marketing is such a bigger and more complex animal these days that just having that isolated adoption is only going to get you so far. And it's really about that departmental or even better organizational transformation, right? We, we've started to to differentiate those two. And I think it's a helpful distinction, right? So adoption is we kept structure largely intact and we started changing process. Uh, whereas a transformation is much more, we change the way we organize ourselves. Our teams are made up differently. We collaborate differently. We plan differently. We budget differently. And that's really where the magic is. And we we did some comparisons between folks who are kind of in that adoption mode, a few teams here and there versus people who had gone all in. And it was a massive jump in employee engagement, in the results, in the ability to deal with uncertainty and react in real time to incoming data. Um, those things went up substantially when you talked about everyone's agile versus just yeah. a few teams are agile. Yeah, really cool. And I think it was uh, 58% said that um, Agile actually in- increased the morale on teams. Um, and then another, it was like 56% around uh, better management of remote teams. Like yeah. this sort of uh, the human element of, uh, of work and remote and um, how, do you, how do you maintain the engagement of uh, employees, employee satisfaction. Uh, it was great to see those numbers. Yeah, I think that that somehow gets overlooked sometimes when we get so excited about speed and productivity. And those are great byproducts of agile ways of working. 
but we spend so much of our life at work. And if you can have it be less terrible or dare I say, actually fun and enjoyable to show up and feel like you're doing meaningful work, that you have autonomy and that you are connected to a a goal, you're connected to your team. It really just makes those eight hours a day that you spend doing your job just better. And ultimately, that makes your whole professional arc better. Um, We get really jazzed about that over here, about being able to bring that kind of, um, you know, up up level in enjoyment of the time you spend at work uh, to our clients. It's really a fun thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think there's an aspect too of, you know, we're, we're working remote and agile, it's, it's like highly measured. It's highly metriced, um, which I think is really interesting. So I, I think that if you take that leap and the organization does it as a whole and the right, um, I'll call it um, sense of connectedness and sort of like openness. Um, a better word um, might be that uh, there's some like intellectual honesty within work now that it's metered and metric uh, and you're held to certain um, like goals. Like I know that, you know, when you think about like, the brain's release of chemicals when we achieve, when we set goals, we achieve goals, sort of like that, the happiness stuff uh, gets released too. So without this like really good, like agile framework around us, um, some of the metrics uh, uh, in here too, like around efficiency and uh, love that one, the task efficiency score, uh, the team efficiency score. So we can, we can win at a task level. We can win at a team level. Um, cycle time and throughput. I just I think those are amaz- amazing metrics, and when we map those out, work at them together as a team, can really give some some psychological safety uh, as well as accomplishment. Um, so for folks that don't know these core, I'll call them metrics of agile, like cycle time, which I think could be a superpower. Can you explain a little bit about uh, task? like cycle time and um, uh, like efficiency scores? Yeah, absolutely. So the cycle time is just how long does it take for work to cycle through your entire work stream, right? So if you have a Kanban board, how long from the time you took something into progress, you started actively working on it until it's done, right? And so it's basically how quickly can we expect something to be completed once we begin that thing? Um, and this is beyond something like velocity, which would be the sheer number of tasks that we completed during a time boxed sprint. Cycle time can be measured irrespective of the framework that you are in. So a scrum team can use cycle time. A Kanban team can use cycle time. Hybrid team can use it. So it's a nice metric that allows you to get an apples to apples look at team health, uh, regardless of the framework that's being used. And it's related to things like task efficiency, Because then we're starting to see once we took that piece of work into progress and we're working on it, how much time was it active versus how much time did it spend stalled, right? And so those of us that are reliant on partners of some kind, a stakeholder who has to bless the works of legal compliance, uh, if you've got an external dependency that you're sort of sitting around and patiently waiting for them to get back to you on something, Task efficiency can tell you 
how much of the cycle time is belonging to that waiting versus belonging to active work that your team can control. I love this one for folks who need feedback, especially from, you know, more senior kind of leaders who tend to get really busy and yeah, yeah, I'll get to that kind of um, behaviors. And you can say, well, yeah, it was a 12 day cycle time, but for eight of those days, right, we were waiting. And so we could have a four day cycle time if we were getting feedback in a more timely way. And so those allow those kinds of conversations to be less about you're always behind and you're making us late to we could deliver this much more quickly if we could find a way to collect feedback faster. Right. And so it it turns it into less of a combative and more of a data driven conversation. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that. And uh, there's that the quote by um, um, George S. Patton, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. So this idea of getting moving faster uh, can provide uh, uh, you know, higher you know, enterprise uh, value as well. Um, now, want to talk again about um, another interesting metric of um, of throughput. Um, now, how should how should teams be thinking about uh, throughput uh, on their on their dashboards or? Um, you know, how how do they incorporate that into their their KPIs? Yeah, throughput's another good kind of productivity centric number that's going to be telling you the volume of stuff that you accomplished as a team. It's a good straightforward metric, which again is universally applicable to any kind of agile team, but it can be tempting to over index on throughput where it's just like, look at this right. giant pile of stuff that we accomplished in the last month. But throughput doesn't tell you if it was the right work, right? And it doesn't tell mm -hmm. you whether you delivered value to an end user either. So I always say, you know, throughput is a great starting point, especially when we go to clients. We're like, well, how long does it normally take you to complete a project so that we have a baseline to compare to? It's shocking how few people can answer that question. And so something like throughput, just measuring how much stuff got done in a regular month pre-Agile, it can be a good, again, an, an apples to apples way to look at pre and post Agile rollout. Um, but it's it's a microcosm of the work being done. And you should definitely balance it with marketing performance metrics, right? So did we get good ROI on the time spent? Yeah. On ad spend, right? Like uh, leads generated, pipeline, whatever your your preferred marketing number is, that needs to to go along with it as well. And then I would also say back to what we were talking about before, keep a track on your team health as well, because the best throughput in the world doesn't matter if you are burning your team out in the process of getting it. So all of that needs to work together. And like a dashboard is a great way to think about it, like, you know, on your car, if you're if you have enough gas, but you're out of oil and your tires are blowing, like the car is still not going to go anywhere. So you you've got to balance all of those things. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, really good uh, advice. Do you, I have this? Um, I'll call it first question. I'll always ask when we we do work, which is if we can't measure it, why are we doing it? I, right. Do you find that you work with clients that just don't measure still? Like, are are there still like the, well, you know, in, throughput could be a good place to start, but are you still seeing a lot of organizations just completely lacking, uh, not measuring, but then 
you know, asking that that question of why are we even doing this if we're we're not measuring it? Yeah, it, it, there are still quite a lot of of clients that we work with that it's well, we always do this in Q one, or Ed told us that we have to do this before his presentation to the board next week, right? And and it doesn't matter that we can't prove the impact on core KPIs. Like we just have to do this. Um, that happens a lot, <laughs> yeah, and some of it. Some of it's down to communication, right? And assumptions. People and teams are assuming that they have to do this. Whereas if they actually went to a stakeholder and said, behold, our backlog of all the things we are not doing because we're doing this thing that you like slacked us at two in the morning that we need to do. um, A lot of stakeholders would say, oh, I had no idea that I was derailing all of this other work by asking for this thing. Please don't do the thing I asked you for and do this other work instead. So that ability to have transparency, you know, and now we're back to some super core agile uh, values, right? Of visibility and openness and communication. So if your work is visible, then you can have these conversations in a much more productive way. And you have an opportunity to get people to take things off of your plate. So you can go back to the things that are measurable and valuable and delivering impact for the business and an enjoyable experience for the client, customer, audience on the other end as well. Awesome. Now, um, I'll always go back to the time that you you trained our team. You came into Chicago. We did a big workshop. We had sticky notes everywhere. We had the penny, th- penny game um, where we did, um, <clears throat> we did some like batch processing of tasks and it really really opened up and exposed for me the the value that it can provide. It really you know, mentally transformed uh, what we did. And um, now that you're you're delivering these consultative services virtually, sort of, are you able to still do the, that type of like interactive session? How does that? How does a workshop with Agile Sherpas going you know doing some of the that heavy lifting learning happen in a, in a virtual world? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the team, our, our trainers are spectacular at at thinking creatively about how to deliver those kinds of aha moments when you can't touch pennies or rip sticky notes off of a sticky pad. Um, the technology has come a long way, really, in the COVID times. Um, and so tools, virtual whiteboard tools like Miro or Mural or even like Zoom whiteboard, things that you can get hold of really easily um, can be used to replicate a lot of those kinds of things. Um, it requires yeah. careful facilitation, you know, and really good planning to make sure you've thought through. You can't do it with a giant group of 50 in Zoom, right? So you yeah. have to break people out into smaller rooms, which means that you have to make sure everybody understood the instructions before you sent them away because they can't talk to you as the instructor once they're in their breakout room. And so it's not like in a live classroom where they raise their hand, right? And then you walk over. It's it's a much more complicated. They can raise their hand, but if five people raise their hand and you can't be in five breakout rooms, it introduces some more complexity. But now we're two and a half years into doing it and yeah. the team has really got it dialed in to figure out, you know, how many facilitators are required, what are the best exercises that are fun and interactive, but not too much cognitive load on folks. Uh, early on, we were trying to really replicate one-to-one, right? The penny game that we used to do, like how can we get that exact experience in a virtual setting? Yeah. And you spin around that for a while and just eventually you have to step back and say, okay, what did 
what is the impact of that exercise? What are we actually trying to convey? How else could we do that in a way that's not such a like, you know, um, just awful grappling with <laughs> with trying to replicate it one to one? Yeah, the real learning is like the hand, the physical hands on with a team around the table, moving it around. So, yeah, how do you the impact? Uh, how do you get there in a virtual world? But yeah, like tools like Miro are great. I and mean, we use it all the time uh, for it. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of tech tools that um, that support Agile today, purpose-built, et cetera. Um, what did you, like even in the research uh, that you did, um, how much did technology play a part within uh, these organizations that you surveyed? Uh, how like core was it? Anything from a technology dimension that... Uh, you glean from it. Yeah, it's definitely a big factor in a successful agile rollout. Uh, it's often, I think it's usually in the research, it comes in at in the top three really consistently every year as something that people point to as something that allowed them to both achieve an agile transformation and then sustain it over the long term, because it's going to be providing that visibility, connection across teams, the ability for senior leaders to get in and see what teams are doing and provide that kind of block and tackle, which is the big role of an agile leader is to understand is the right work getting done. If yes, how do I keep that happening? If no, how do I make that happen? Um, as opposed to really like, good news, Ed, you're doing these five things today. Like, let me know when they're done. So it's a much different role. And having a tool that ladders up the right level of visibility to senior leaders really helps with that. Um, not to mention just makes the team's lives easier uh, right. because they have access to better ways to collaborate, to get feedback, to share resources with one another, um, all of that. So the, the tools in tech, again, especially when you're looking departmentally or organizationally, consistent adoption of a tool. So everybody's got a single source of truth. There's not five different places to log in, depending on what team you want to understand what's going on, becomes even more important uh, at scale. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Technology is definitely a cheat code uh, to help get you there. And then uh, this idea of, like you said, reinforcement. And then I know there's a major component with this that needs to make it work, which is change management. How, when you think about the cheat codes to make agile marketing work, again, this this idea of moving out of like just a department or just a team into enterprise, what are some of the change management cheat codes that you've implemented? Um, what are some maybe that used to work that maybe don't work anymore? Or what are some like newer discovery cheat codes with regards to to change management to make it work? Yeah, I think the thing that has to evolve when you're beyond the team and into the bigger media transformations is you really have to have people internally dedicated to Agile's success. So we we abbreviate it BATO, B-A-T-O, which is a business agility transformation organization. So there needs to be people in our, ideally, they're embedded in the client, right? They partner with us or another, you know, Agile transformation team to really be 40 hours a week accountable to making this happen. And they're responsible for, you know, change management. We provide a lot of guidance, right? We'll give you the email 
verbiage, right? And the cadence to send it out. We'll tell you like how to talk about this in town hall, but we can't do it, right? <laughs> We're not going to yeah. be the ones to stand up and say, this is happening, that we need people internally uh, with the political clout and the understanding of the organizational politics and all of those things uh, to be that voice and that change agent. So definitely having some kind of dedicated resource, the difference in the clients where we have that versus don't, and the speed with which they see an impact is amazing. Even if it's just one person, even just one dedicated human who's worried about this all the time makes Mm -hmm. a huge difference. Best case is when you can get like three to five people who are right, you know, there's tools and technology rollout, there's communication internally, up, down, sideways, right? And all these things, you can get tons of support, but somebody needs to be doing it day in and day out. Um, that's definitely a big cheat code, I would say. Yes. Um, yeah. And likewise, back to what you said about, you know, an okay plan now is better than a perfect plan later. Same thing goes for an agile transformation. It's I'm continually shocked by how many people want to know in such hyper detail. Give me the two-year super specific, like we're going to spin up this team this month with these people two years from now. And I'm a little bit like, that's not, that's not agile at all. And I wish I knew that, right? I wish I had a crystal ball that would tell me all of that. But that's disingenuous for me to tell you that I can know exactly what team is going to spin up in March, 2024. Like there's no way that anyone can know that. Or we could make that plan and stick to it no matter what, despite data or different outcomes than we expect in between now and then. Neither of these are are ideal. So it's senior leaders and people who are driving a transformation need to adopt that agile mindset as well and be okay with this idea of test and learn, even Mm -hmm. in an agile rollout, which is a huge project, right? There's a lot of expense and, and stuff going on there, but definitely not asking people to just take it on faith that it's going to work out. There's a lot of documentation and there's a lot of planning that goes into it. But ultimately, there is going to be some some test and learn along the way. Uh, we learn something every time, right? You do a transformation. So being able to have dedicated people who are comfortable with a little bit of uncertainty in the process, um, those two things sound easy to say out loud, but it's amazing how hard it is to, to find them uh, with a client. Yeah. Let's just start work. You know, like the the speed at which we start the work is can, can be um, transformational in and of itself from the culture. And I've also noticed like there's some pretty cool mantras in the world of agile marketing. Like uh, I've heard you said the, say them before, like iterate, don't hate. Are there any like cool like <laughs> phrases and sayings that you tend to see within the, uh, the agile marketing uh, world? Uh, my favorite is always stop starting, start finishing. Oh, I love that. That's I say it to myself and to my team still all the time. Like, don't don't start something new until you've finished the really important stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the number of things that you're working on extends the amount of time that all those things take to complete. And so it's it's difficult to be disciplined enough to do that consistently. But it is uh, definitely a cheat code and a superpower. And that goes for individuals, teams, organizations, like stop starting. Don't pull that next sticky note in. Finish the thing you're working on. And you get the little dopamine hit, right, from moving the sticky to done anyway. So yeah. it's 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 really nice. Um, let's see. 
sacrificing the good in favor of the great. It's kind of the same kind of idea, right? Let's not do 20 good things and neglect the one great thing. Let's let's do that one great thing. We have to know what it is, right? And we need to be able to have visibility around it. But that's always really important. Yeah, and there's there's two words too that I want you to demystify, which I think are, are pretty cool to understand that are core to the methodology, this this idea of slack yeah. and this idea of whip limit. Um can you demystify those those words for us and why are they so important for the teams to adopt an understanding of it? Yeah, I'll start with whip limit because that's related to the uh, stop starting, start finishing uh, mantra. So WIP stands for work in progress, W-I-P, and it's a WIP limit places a hard ceiling on the number of activities that can be in progress for an individual or a team. So it's basically saying, I mean, I still do it. I have a personal Kanban board that I've I've run for seven years or something, but I have a strict personal WIP limit of two. I cannot have any more than two things in progress at any given moment of any given day. Doesn't mean that I don't do more than two things in a day. That would be nice, but that's not the reality of of my work. So it's not that I don't that I only do two things today. I'll do like seven or eight or ten things today, but I'm only working on two things simultaneously, right? So if I'm preparing for this podcast and putting together notes for my one-on-ones with my leadership team, I can't do a third thing until one of those things is finished, right? Uh So it's really counterintuitive, but what it does is more things will get done than if you pull 20 things in progress and then try to divide your eight-hour day across 20 things, right? It's So that's a whip limit. And then a similar kind of concept is of slack, which is, unscheduled time, for lack of a better word. Um, So if we're on a team of five people and we know that our typical throughput is 30 tasks in two weeks, we wouldn't necessarily say, here's all 30 that we're going to commit to right now and do. These are the 30 and that's it. We're locked down. These are the 30 no matter what. We might say, let's just commit to 25 so that when something crazy happens or a new opportunity comes up or there's an emergency, we have that slack and that capacity available to us to flex and adapt. Um, so then you're not always just adding more onto people that you know it's not possible for them to complete, which sets people up for burnout and frustration. Um, and then if those five things don't materialize, you have that slack available, maybe somebody's upskilling so that they can be more a better team member and more supportive. Maybe they're learning a new tool that's going to help the team go faster down the road. So this idea of like leaving a little bit of space for people is another kind of counterintuitive thing that actually can bear a lot of fruit. So cool. Love that. Like geeking out on these terms. You know, I'm super passionate, as you know, about content operations and this idea of agile, agile marketing. It's just such a complimentary uh, mindset methodology that goes along with it. So yeah, so much there to to learn and um, have work together. And um, so I want you to get your crystal ball out, put it on the table, get your hands on it or whatever they do, you know, with the uh, with with them. Focus forward. What do your Where do your eyes go? What does your mind see when you go out? Uh, you know, a year, 
two years, three years, uh, as it relates to uh, this methodology, maybe even why organizations are going to need it more. Uh, what's the what's the future hold for agile marketing? Yeah, I think uh, within the next couple of years, marketers are going to be asked to be change agents beyond our function. So we've been learning a lot and have some hard-won lessons about how Agile works outside of the world of software and IT that we can and should bring into our colleagues elsewhere in the business. There's no sense in having them have to learn the same lessons, right? And so I see marketing, uh, we talk about it a lot as a great Trojan horse, right? That you can sneak Mm. Agile into an organization and then it starts to spread out from there. Um, I think that that's going to be a really exciting thing, like marketers kind of leading the way into other forms of business agility. Um, And I think kind of related to that, there will be a stronger connection between Agile and the customer experience holistically, right? Which again is a driver to Agile everywhere so that we can be reactive and responsive to what our customers are wanting, regardless of where we sit, right? And that can mean that we are going to have cross-functional teams in a whole new way, right? Not just across marketing functions or across software development functions, but perhaps across all the functions, right? So we have marketers together with product people and legal and compliance so that we've got build it, market it, approve it, ship it kind of in that one team, um, all focused on delivering value to a particular customer persona or segment or what have you. Um, really exciting, really complicated. <laughs> but yeah. um, I mean, Agile is just, it just makes sense as a modern operating model, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. And so I think that's, we're going to see that march continue. Yeah, that's awesome. Love that. Now, I know you've always, you always have special projects. You've written books, you've been heads down writing. Of course, you've got the new research coming out. Do you have any other like in the works special projects in, in your world right now that um, we do that you're willing to let out of the bag? Yeah, we do. Okay. I, I'm, I'm happy to sneak sneak preview some things here. So, Oh, good. Yeah, well, we've been working on a ton over the last like eight months or so, I guess, at this point is uh, technology-enabled uh, training and coaching. So taking wow. the brilliance of our, our Sherpas and documenting it in such a way that it's uh, available on demand to people, right? So, you know, we talked about whip limits here today and our Sherpas teach people about whip limits all the time. But when somebody is like, what was that thing, that weird word that Andrea said, and I really wanted to do it, but I can't remember what it was. Instead of having to go back and rewatch an entire training course that they took with us or try to jump around this podcast recording, we're calling them carabiners, like those little clippy things that you attach yourself when you're climbing a mountain, right? So you have this little carabiner that's holding you up to where you want to be. You can just watch a five-minute refresher on what whip limits are and how they work. So you can access the information that you need when you need it in this kind of on-the-job, real-time way. So we've been spending a lot of time internally figuring out what might learners need, what's the right content type, um, building it out into our LMS. Um, I don't think you can see it behind me, but I have like a video recording studio in my office now. And I sit down and talk about this stuff all the time to the camera. So we have video recordings when that's the right format, online exercises when that's the right format. Um, And the team has just been 
working really, really hard. And um, we have our first 25 little carabiners that are going to be ready this quarter. And so like that's going to come out to our private clients. And then eventually we'll have those accessible for public learners, you know, to, to get what they need. So that's the next kind of evolution for us is to be really be able to meet people where they are in a whole new way. Yeah. Love that too. And like how you're adapting to how we want to consume information. I need to answer the question now and I don't want to sift through everything. Take me to the carabiner on whip limit. Uh, love that. And uh, so cool. Um, Andrea, it's always awesome to catch up with you. It's awesome to get refreshed, you know, on the annual report and the data and we'll have links uh, in the show, uh, the show notes for everything. Um, yeah, I think what you're doing is awesome. I think this world needs Sherpas like you in it, you know, give us confidence, show where to go, us where to go and how to get there uh, confidently. And um, yeah, thank you so much for the the knowledge bombs and the cheat codes you dropped today. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Always happy to be here. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I want to thank our guests for their time and everyone out there in a primo land for listening. This episode was written, mixed, and produced by Glenn McManus. Our associate producer is Noah Horberg. Our production coordinator is Izzy Herbst. And our creative director is Sonny Okamoto. Our series is hosted by Ed Brield. And I'm your co-host, Sam Chapman. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us or review us everywhere you listen to podcasts and be sure to keep the conversation going by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or want to be a guest, head on over to the URL in the episode description and drop us a line. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.